I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the letter of First John. As a church family, we've been going through each letter in the New Testament in this calendar year, looking at how it begins and how it ends. And as the year is wrapping up, we are getting close to the end of our Bibles. And today we'll actually have to consider uh, John in its entirety. He wrote uh, three short letters, uh, one sort of medium short and then two very, very short in second and third John. Uh, and part of the gift of this past year being able to have uh, missionaries that we support from abroad being with us and able to bring the word to us is that here at the end we'll just combine uh, first, second, third John uh, this morning. Don't worry, I don't think that means it'll go longer. Uh, I, I hope not. You'll, we'll find out together at the end if that's the case. Uh, but we're going to read first John chapter one up until uh, the sixth verse of chapter two. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever abides in him, uh, whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. Uh, John in his letter is making sure that we hold together things that are uh, meant to go together, meant to complement one another, that if we, if we don't have one, it, we can't think of the other, uh, so that we don't separate out what we think about God to how we understand love, and then also to how we understand how we're supposed to live, that for John, all these things go together, who God is and 
what real love is and how we find direction and wisdom for how we're supposed to live in this world are things that all affect one another. And so he wants us to keep that in mind, that we can't truly effectively know one without knowing the other or do one without doing the other. And they go together like a lock and key, like socks and shoes, things that are meant to complement one another. Uh, yesterday, I, I had the responsibility for the first time to coach one of our kids' uh, sporting events. So we signed them up for a youth basketball program, and those of you who've signed your kids up for programs, if, if you show up to practice and you're a warm body, one of the first questions you might get asked is, are you willing to coach? And I said, oh, I don't know, but maybe I could handle that. And so uh, I said yes to that. And so yesterday morning was the first opportunity for our two oldest to play a game, and as I was thinking about that going into it, I said, I really just want them to have a good time. I mean, this is youth basketball. I want them mostly to have fun, and I want all of them to have fun. But then I also realized, but if, if they get blown out, like, they're not going to have a lot of fun. Like, they'll get mad at each other if they don't feel like they're playing well as a team or if they don't feel like they're learning things. And so part of the goodness of sports is also learning that you can have a good time and try hard and not always win, and that's okay because that's also how life goes. But I sense this sort of tension of, I wanna make sure that they're mostly just having a good time and that they try hard. But in the same way, somebody's asked me to take on the responsibility to give them guidance. And so if they're confused most of the time and they don't know what they're doing, then they're not gonna have a really good time. And so I labored to sort of think about, all right, what are, what are the instructions that I can give and sort of the strategy that we might be able to implement, even at a young age, that's simple enough that every one of them knows what they're doing and they know why they're doing it, but it's also not so complicated that uh, now they're just sort of overwhelmed by it and they're not having fun. And thankfully, we had an opportunity before the game started to go over a few things and then when it got started, one of the first things I realized is they were all playing. Is once they started playing, nobody was listening to me. And so there I was standing on the sideline trying to yell and give instructions. And uh, my friend, who's also coaching with me, eventually, I just after probably the fifth time I said the same thing, I then looked back and said, they're not listening to a single thing I'm saying. And he just laughed at me. And I said, okay, so we need to work on this. So then for my four that were sitting on the bench, I had to give them the instructions to say, see how they're not paying attention right now? When you get out there, you're probably not going to listen either. So here's what I need you to pay attention to so that when you get out there, you know, and everybody got equal time. It's one of the rules of the league. And so then I could work on it again when the starters came in and were on the bench and we could discuss it together. And it was fun for me at the end to, again, uh, see that those two things go together. We're not having a ton of fun if we don't know why we're there, what we're supposed to be doing. And yet at the same time, we all make mistakes and we need somebody who can encourage us and cheer for us, uh, even though uh, we're all learning things as we go. And the Apostle John uh, has these words of wisdom that he wants to pass on to each and every one of us and things that he wants us to hold together, not to overly complicate things or, or burden us with so much information, but he knows that our joy in the Lord is going to be connected with how we understand him and how we understand our responsibility to follow after him. So I think one of the first questions that John uh, considers uh, throughout this passage is, how do we know that 
it's really true. And we all ask this question, how do we know that the gospel is really true? And so he starts off by saying, listen, I was with him. We heard this message. We saw him with our own eyes. We were able to touch his hands and imagine the goodness of both being able to be with the Lord before he died and rose again, but then also seeing his hands after he rose again. And so he's saying, we have seen this life made manifest and we're proclaiming it to you. And so in, in his own biography, he's saying, I was with Jesus for many years and I got to hear what he said. I got to see uh, how he treated people. Then I got to see actually what happened to him. And then I got to uh, experience the goodness of what happened after he rose from the dead. And so I'm telling you that this is true, that you can rely upon this. This isn't uh, John or, and it's the same thing with Peter and Paul and the others. None of them claim that they came up with a great idea and then just wanted to sort of create a new religion for the world. But they all together encountered a real person. And in learning from that real person who lived in time and space, whose uh, towns that were a, a part of his story are still many of them towns that you can now go uh, and visit and see that there is a place called Jerusalem and there is a sea in Galilee and things that you yourself can still experience thousands of years later. That uh, the story of the gospel is not uh, all out there uh, in the yonder as we might uh, now uh, enjoy various uh, sort of plays or movies in a science fiction realm and outer space uh, and different universes that can be created by people with their imagination. Uh, that's not what the gospel story is. The gospel is that uh, Jesus, who ruled and reigned over it all, actually came down to this place, lived on this earth, and was seen and known and heard, had family, and was in places that could be tested and verified. And so we can know that it was true that he came among us and that he lived and that that could be evaluated. And through Jesus, we also know that God is true and that so is love. And one of the reasons that John holds these two things together is if, if in our mind we say, well, now in, in the modern day, we don't believe anything's true unless we can prove it, unless we can put it under a microscope or a telescope. Uh, like the only things that we can really know that are true are physical things that we can test and verify. Well, at that same measurement, not only do we lose the ability to know that God is true, but we also lose the categories in which we would say that love is true. Because how do you put love under a microscope? Or what telescope shows it to you? How do you test it and verify it? But I do imagine if uh, not only on a, a, an occasion like this, but in, in almost any other setting, to simply ask, do you believe that love is true? That most people would say, I do. And if you ask them, do you believe God is true? Well, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Why are you not so sure? well, because I can't quite see him, and I've had mixed experiences in my life, 
Well, isn't that true about most of us as it relates to love as well? And sometimes we've been hurt by people that we loved, and sometimes we are grieving the absence of love in our lives, but even the grieving or the absence at times actually reveals in us this, uh, this reality that is there, and it's there for each and every one of us. And we would submit that God is in that same category, that throughout human history, the majority of people have believed in a God, have longed for their to be a God, have found it easy even as children to dance and sing and worship God because it resonates with something for each and every one of us on the inside. That alone doesn't make it true and we have to then still test out what we believe, but where does that desire come from for each and every one of us? And so the Apostle John is saying that we have seen Jesus in the flesh. We heard him teach. And through that, what has been shown to us is that this message is really true. That the God who is out there, who made the world, is real. This isn't just a myth. It's not simply a parable or wish fulfillment. But it can be relied upon and trusted. And then the next question uh, that we often ask is, okay, so even if I believe it's true, how do we know it's good? you might be able to believe that something is true, like, you know, 200 years ago, such and such thing happened in such and such town, and you'd say, okay, I can accept that that's true as simply a matter of history. Or you can accept something as true that happened historically, but was also really, really bad. That you can say, as I, uh, I'm reading through a, a history of uh, World War I, and mostly from the lens of what happened in the Ottoman Empire, and I believe that most of what I'm reading is true, but most of it is also extraordinarily sad and bad. That so quickly, what seemed to be a, a localized incident between two powers eventually just kept drawing into it more and more nations. And so many nations, as they got drawn into it, uh, pledged more and more men and resources to it with the expectation that this is going to end quickly. And so that if we just commit enough men and enough resources, uh, that this will probably all be over in a matter of weeks. And then it grew to four years. And it grew to many, many nations. At the end of which, most people had a sense of ambivalence to say, what are we, what are we actually fighting about? What are we fighting for? What did we commit all of these people to? And so you could believe that World War I really happened, that it was true. That doesn't necessarily tell you something about whether it was good or bad or which parts of it were good and bad. And so here John is saying about Jesus, what we believe about him is true. But look at how he summarizes the whole message in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's a profound summary of the gospel message that you and I can believe that Jesus not only existed but when we then examine his life and what he taught and how he treated people that he was thoroughly good in all that he did. 
in how he treated people who had a bad reputation like Matthew the tax collector, how he treated uh, people who were caught in sin like the woman caught in adultery, how he treated people who had been suffering for decades with illness and disease, how he treated people who were like sheep without a shepherd, gathered in large numbers, having no idea where their next meal would come from, how he would confront leaders who abused their power and authority over the vulnerable and the marginalized among them. I mean, you can look through Jesus's life and see how he interacted in all of those different experiences. And for John, he's saying, through Jesus, what we discover is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Peter, last week, had referred to being up on the holy mountain, seeing Jesus transfigured. And John would have been one of those up there too. And so what would have been made absolutely clear to those who saw that experience was that Jesus had the power and the authority to do whatever he wanted. And oftentimes when we experience in our world somebody having the power to do whatever they want with nobody able to stop them, we usually get tense and say that, that's not going to go well if somebody's just free to do whatever they want. But John and Peter and others look at Jesus and say, with all that authority that he really had. He took advantage of no one. He manipulated no situation. He was, as we sang, strong and kind. <laughs> he had patience for little children that came up to him when his own disciples were like, oh my goodness, what do you get out of here? This is, he has more important things to do. And yet in his power, he revealed a goodness that could not be denied. And through that goodness, what Jesus uh, consistently taught and said is that he was there to do his Father's will, that that goodness flows from who his Heavenly Father is. And the love and the relationship that exists and the fullness and the goodness between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what he offers now to the world. And so John talks about us now having fellowship with the Father and the Son that we get to enter into that goodness, that love that exists between the Father. And for all of us, if we believe and recognize that environment that we're in, it helps each and every one of us to become who God has made us to become. None of us thrive very well in an environment of hostility and conflict. It's a sad thing when we see like a, a fight break out between two people or we see driving around sort of all of a sudden anger manifest itself on the, on the roadway between people that are driving. It, it immediately affects everybody else around them to say, I don't want to get close. I, don't, I want to avoid that situation. When there's a sense of peace and cooperation and harmony, there's now this invitation to draw near and to come close. And so John is saying, when we realize that God is good, that he is light and in him is no darkness at all, that there is perfect unity and harmony between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're invited into that. So that's part of the goodness that you and I can experience, and that he extends that goodness to us. And another way that that goodness manifests itself is that Jesus will keep the promises he makes. And so this has an aspect that we believe that God is good, that we're, Jesus was thoroughly good in all that he did. 
But now, ongoing, he will continue to be true to the things that he said so that later when he says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a fascinating phrase. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and there we might more imagine that it would say he is faithful and merciful or that he is faithful and gracious or again that he is faithful and kind to forgive us our sins but he actually says he is faithful and just he's right to forgive us our sins or he's faithful and good to forgive us our sins well what how does that reveal his goodness or his justice? I thought forgiveness was that he's actually not imposing justice upon us. He's, he's offering us an alternative to justice because justice would just demand that if we messed up, there's a punishment. So how is it just for him to not punish us? He's being just and good and right to the promise that he has made. That if you come to him, he will accept you. If you or I confess our sins, he will forgive us. Those are promises that he has made that here John is saying he will not break. And so he is faithful and good and just to forgive us our sins when we confess them. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we can believe, and John is... (laughs) Uh, inviting us to come along with him as he's retelling the story of who Jesus is, that it really is true, and that God is good, and that then we have the opportunity now to show to other people that it's also beautiful. So how do we know that this that is true and that is good is also beautiful? And here he talks about the obedience that this is supposed to result in in our lives that if we believe this about God that he is good that he is light then it should be our desire to walk with him in that light to not continue in darkness if we say we believe that he's good and he's trustworthy then that should be evident by our willingness to do what he says that we are confident of him in what he's willing to do Uh, yesterday actually before the game I was having a hard time finding a parking spot um, because there were games going on before our game and so the lot at the Y was totally full and so now I was trying to find overflow parking and my kids do not trust that I will always obey traffic laws Uh, there's some reasons behind that and we won't go into that right now but and so a lot of times where that comes is also in parking signs and so if they see a no parking sign, they're now old enough to read it themselves. And so if I say, no, that only applies, you know, Monday through Friday, which is true some of the times, right? Um, a parking spot might only apply uh, during a certain window of business hours or something. So I try to explain to them, like, there's times where that no parking sign means not right now. And so we can still park right now. But I just sense the like, so I tried to do that yesterday. There was a church that said no parking in the church and I said well I'm a pastor I can park in the church and they were like no you can't and they were really mad at me and I pulled out of the church and went and parked somewhere else because I was like I honestly think it really means Sundays or other times I said whatever we'll go we'll go somewhere else and we'll park so that they're not mad at me and you guys can you know 
obey traffic laws much better than I can and set better examples. But when it comes to living out the laws and the rules that are among us, we will reveal whether or not we have this sense of trust that what is being done is good and right, and it's the best way to do it. And if we say we believe God loves us so much that he sent his son for us and that if you could hear his teaching, what he taught was the best way to live. Okay, well then how much effort are we then putting to live the way he told us to live? We know we have the promise that he'll forgive us of our sins. We know that if we sin, as it said in chapter 2, we have an advocate for the Father. So we don't have to step forward with this burden of like, oh my goodness, I can never mess up. I can never make a mistake because then it all falls apart. No, 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 he's saying it's okay to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. Be honest about that. And there's grace for that. But then in all that grace is still this encouragement to do what he says to do. Try it out. He said, to forgive our enemies. What would that look like this coming week to try that out? He said to love one another as he loved us. What would that look like in your uh, weekly routine? He said to care for the little ones. He told us to to have our generosity uh, be in secret and not always in front of people. He told us to to maintain even our prayers at times in secret and not always to be seen by others. Uh, To just go back to almost any of the things that he has told us to do. Uh, If you're someone who's thought for a long time about getting baptized and you've never done that before, it's one of those things, again, where it's, do you trust him that if he said it's good and right to do and you think that you uh, should take that public step in faith, that that's something you would consider doing. For, for all of us, it's different things. If he said to love sacrificially your spouse, if he said uh, to do everything that you do in your work as unto the Lord and not just to earthly masters, in all of those things, he's given us guidance for how to live. And as we uh, seek to enter into that, knowing that he has all the grace to forgive us for the mistakes we make along the way, we can reveal that we really do trust him because he doesn't cut corners. Uh, He doesn't justify the things that shouldn't be justified. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so every time we follow his lead, we're going the right way. And so that's where he concludes. says, by by this we read in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 2, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that is revealed in it about who you are and how trustworthy you are. And that is... John and his love for the people called them his dear children. Later, he would go on to say uh, how amazing it is that you call us your children. And we thank you that you want to give us guidance. That you want us to have a sense of purpose and direction. 
that the truth that you have revealed is meant for us in our everyday life, that we can uh, depart from this place and think about tomorrow and the next day and the, the week ahead, and that you desire that more people would come to know who you are as they see us walk in the way that you walked, as they see us reveal the beauty that is found in holiness and in righteousness the beauty that is found in extending grace and forgiveness to others just like you extend it to us the beauty and the goodness that it is to be generous and kind to others just like you are to us and so we pray that through your holy spirit you would do those works in us that you would help us to walk with you in jesus name amen